0: I know, hope can last so welcome back to reason for hope my name is mario costabile and i am the executive director here at array of hope now you might have seen an array of hope concert or even been to one of our retreats or even saw us on tv or social media but this is something completely new for us Reason for Hope is yet another way Array of Hope is trying to awaken hearts. Today I have our Director of Theology here at Array of Hope, Dr. David Heideck, and we're going to discuss more of St. John Paul's theology of the body and the importance of evangelization in our culture. We're also going to hear part two of Scott Hahn's interview. I guarantee you're going to see a side of Scott Hahn that no one's ever seen. This is fun. I can't wait for you to check this out. With our faith, true joy and happiness is possible. As Christians, ultimately our goal is to get to heaven. No matter what we may endure here on earth, there's always a reason for hope. So here I am on uh, Fifth Avenue, right in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral. Excuse me, can I just ask you a quick question? Okay. I know it's kind of crazy to be asking a question in the middle of the street. Do you think it's important to share your faith with others? It's
1: important to share your faith, yes.
0: And why do you think it's important?
1: Well, how do you spread the word if you don't share?
0: Right. And what do you think? Ditto. Ditto. All right, we're consistent. Okay, you're a great family. God bless you guys. Excuse me, ladies. Well, I'm getting a sense that you're faithful. And what do you think about sharing that?
2: Absolutely. I'm not in a pushy way. Living it out for but then if people ask me questions, I want to tell them what I believe. It has to be done in a way that it doesn't push them further away.
0: Right, right. You have to be very careful. Right. How about yourself?
2: I sometimes feel like we don't share often enough, I guess. So I feel like I need to do a better job of not waiting till people ask, but just sharing, even if they don't ask. Just sharing my heart on it, and maybe asking them questions about what they believe.
0: That's beautiful. Excuse me, you, you, you got laryngitis. Okay, it's the first time I heard that today. She's got laryngitis. She can't talk, and and now and now she's talking to her guy. Her, that she's walking with. I gotta remember doing that when I don't wanna talk to someone. I gotta say I got laryngitis. Excuse me guys, you guys are married and you have three kids? Well, you look very young. wow. That's great. Do you think that it's important to share your faith with people? We do share our faith not through our words, but the way we live by your actions. Our actions for our for my friends that are struggling, for her friends, if they're in need and they don't know where to look, you know, I always start with the church. That's what happened for me. Amen. We had a child before before we got married, and when we were in college, and I was going to go into mass, didn't practice. Found out that we were pregnant. We had nothing, and that's where actually my faith restarted. Going through the dark times is how I, you know. Refound my faith. To answer your question,
1: whenever our friends are going through difficult or dark times, I say, hey, well, this will work for me. Maybe you should try it out. It might work for you.
0: Sounds good. Nice meeting you. God bless. All right. Striking gold here. Excuse me. Do you think it's important to share your faith with people?
2: Um, I don't push that on people. I think everyone has their own beliefs. That's just not who I am.
0: What do you think about sharing your faith with people?
3: I mean, I believe in it, but, you know, it's got to be the other person who
1: believes in it. You know, So, I mean, you can push it as much as you want, but it's up to them to take in God. I think it's important to not impose your faith, but it's important to show your belief. So for example, if somebody comes up to you and tells me, hey, what you're believing is not right. I'm evangelical or Jehovah's witness and they want to impose their faith on me. It's not wrong, but I don't choose to do that because I think faith should come from within and what you choose to believe.
0: But let's say they were struggling and, and they were having some difficulty or they're really going off the rails, because you kind of said that God was sort of like uh, someone that keeps you on track. I can use that to
1: help them guide themselves back onto the right. In
0: road. that case, you would suggest God. Correct. That's awesome. God bless you guys. Would you share your faith with others? Ooh, that's a tough one now. You never know where it's gonna go. Well, in other words, look, when Jesus was here, right, yeah. two thousand years ago, he said to us, you know make disciples of all nations he wanted us to share the faith he wanted us to spread christianity so my question is do you think it's important for us to do that i mean it's a command from christ himself a command yeah is it a command from christ himself yeah he said spread that was back then 2000 years ago but there's so many various faiths and they're all going to the one Redeemer, I think, in the end. And right. Yeah, Okay. their own. You don't want to push your thoughts or beliefs onto others? I don't think it's my kudos to do that, but you know, wish them all well. Hi, so would you, do you think we should be sharing our faith with people more? As
3: much as you can, you know, I think people are either open to it or they're not. Everybody's at different stages. I don't think you can force it down anybody's throat.
0: Let's say if you saw someone struggling, would you bring God as a solution?
3: I would, yeah. I think there's always, you know, there's something bigger
2: than us on Earth. And I feel like it can help give you a little
3: footing while you're here. The
0: way of hopes man
1: Oh yeah
2: Do you know, do you know How much she
1: loves you so Do you know, do you know How much she loves you so
0: So here we are with Dr. David Heideck, our Director of Theology here at Array of Hope. And today's uh, topic is the new evangelization. And um, I I believe it's the foundation of our church. I mean, we need to evangelize, right? Let me ask you a couple questions, okay? So why is evangelization important and fundamental to being a Christian, really?
1: You know, St. Paul VI wrote in his powerful apostolic exhortation, Evangelization in the Modern World, that evangelizing is the church's identity, that she exists in order to evangelize, in order to preach and teach the gospel. So evangelizing is like the very nature of the church. She exists to proclaim the good news and to extend the salvation that God offers in Christ to the whole world. But this applies to all the members of the church it doesn't just apply to, like, the pope or the bishops or the priests. All the baptized are called to this. It's all of us. Yeah, all of us. We all have to evangelize. One of the most inspirational passages in Pope Francis' The Joy of the Gospel is when he discusses this, actually. In virtue of their baptism, all the members of the people of God have become missionary disciples. All the baptized, whatever their position in the church or their level of instruction in the faith, are agents of evangelization. Every Christian is challenged here and now to be actively engaged in evangelization. Indeed, anyone who has truly experienced God's saving love does not need much time or lengthy training to go out and proclaim that love. So what are we waiting for? I love that when the Pope says that. So what mm-hmm. are we waiting for? Yeah, get to, Every Christian is called yeah, to evangelize, not to just it. a certain group, you know? Yeah, get to it, right?
0: That's amazing. I, I love that. And especially uh, profound to understand that the act of evangelization really draws us closer to God. So, Dave, uh, let's just take it back a bit, okay? Many of our listeners may really not know what it means to evangelize or have some form of preconceived ideas of what it means to evangelize. What does it truly mean To evangelize?
1: Well, the word evangelize comes from the Greek euangelion. In Latin, actually, it's evangelium, meaning good news or good message. Interestingly, the Middle English word gospel, which is based on the Old English word godspell, is a translation of euangelion. Um, So to evangelize means to proclaim or share the good news. But what many don't know is that in the Roman world, The Evangelium was a public message from the Emperor, who saw himself as the Son of God, Lord, Savior, and Redeemer of the whole world. It was often a proclamation of victory in battle. And so, what is the good news or the good message that we proclaim? It's a proclamation of victory. It's the victory of God's love in Christ over the power of sin and death. That Jesus is the true Son of God, the true King. That by his passion and death and resurrection from the dead, we have forgiveness of our sins and hope of eternal life. Then we can walk in newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit.
0: Wow, Dave, I, I never really knew that. I mean, it's so interesting. It really throws the scriptures in a completely different light. So what would you say is the most important thing that we should communicate when we evangelize today?
1: Yeah, well, let me borrow from Pope Francis. He states that the good news is one message— That communicates three great truths. First, God loves you unconditionally and more than you can ever think or imagine. You're precious to him. He is faithful and keeps his promises. He is for you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Two, Christ saves you. Now, the word save comes from the Latin word that means health, healing, wholeness, Christ wants to heal you. He wants to set you free from whatever binds you, especially from sin. And He wants to make you whole so that you can live in fullness of life. He died for you. And if you entrust yourself to Him, you will know true freedom and true joy. And three, Jesus is alive. He is the risen one. He's not just someone who lived a long time ago. He's with you here and now. And He wants to walk in friendship with you, to help you. You're not alone. Yeah.
0: I mean, these are really powerful messages, and I think people are longing to hear them, whether they can articulate it or not. So, Dave, we've been hearing in the church over the past few decades about this term, the new evangelization, right? So what is distinct about it, and why do we need the new evangelization?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a great question, because you would think all we have to do is evangelize. So what is even a new evangelization? Well, the first thing, what isn't new? What isn't new is the message. The message isn't new. And, you know, the new evangelization isn't even really referring to new approaches to evangelization, and many people associate it with that. They think, oh, well, we need to evangelize, but we need to use new methods of evangelization. That's true of every age. You can't use one approach to every place you're evangelizing. You've got to kind of speak the language of that culture and reach through that culture like a ray of hope is trying right, to
0: right. do. you got to be contemporary and, and relevant. So right.
1: That, Absolutely. Otherwise, they're not yeah. going to hear it. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's not even what new evangelization refers to. It refers specifically to a re-evangelizing of areas and peoples that were already Christian. Hmm. You see? So... So, when John Paul II in his encyclical, The Mission of the Redeemer, brings this phrase up, the new evangelization, that's precisely how he, he means it. He says it like this, There is a situation, particularly in countries with ancient Christian roots, where entire groups of the baptized have lost a living sense of the faith— or even no longer consider themselves members of the church and live a life far removed from Christ and his gospel. In this case, what is needed is a new evangelization or re-evangelization. So specifically, we're talking about people who have left the church, people who no longer live as Christians, and and countries and people who are growingly secular— well, this is perfect.
0: The perfect timing for this, because so many people are disengaged. So many people have left the church, given the crisis and what's going on. So this is a perfect opportunity to re-evangelize, right?
1: Yeah. Now's the time. This is it.
0: You know, sometimes people just, uh, you know, don't want to be evangelized, right? They don't want to hear it because they, they, for whatever reason, you know, uh, they push God away. What do you think are ways that we can evangelize today and, and reach those people?
1: I think that John Paul II, who really heralded this new evangelization, also gave us an approach to it. And I think the theology of the body is that approach. I think it's an incredibly effective evangelical tool. Now, some people might think that the theology of the body is just a presentation of the church's teaching about sex and marriage. It is that, but it's much more than that. You know, in reality, it's a presentation of the story of salvation. This is built right into the structure of it, you know, especially in part one. It starts with our creation, and then it moves to a discussion of the fall, original sin, and the experience of fallen man. And then it looks to our redemption, to the experience of redemption in time, but also to the future resurrection and renewal of all things. So it really is a presentation of the good news. But it does this in a way that really reaches into hearts and and taps into human experience. It really responds in a contemporary way to all of our transcendental longings and questions. The theology of the body really unpacks what the meaning of life is. Don't people want to know what the meaning of life is? They're, I think they're frantically searching for meaning in their lives. They want to know how to be truly happy, how to be fulfilled, how to find fulfillment in life. Do you think people want to be fulfilled? Do you think they want happiness? Yeah, and I think that so much of their life is about trying to become happy. And so the theology of the body responds to that. They want to know the meaning of love. Everybody wants love. Mm -hmm. People are longing for love. The theology of the body answers that question about the meaning of love and how to find it. And then the meaning of sex. Our culture seems so focused on sex and sexual pleasure, you know? And if people are going to have a gripe with the church, it's going to be about sex. The the response to that is not for the church to shut up about sex. The, The response to that is for the church to give a compelling vision of what the body and human sexuality is. And the theology of the body does that. And so when you share the theology of the body, what winds up happening is, in my experience, there's this this echo in the heart of the people who hear this. And their overwhelming response is, this is great. How come I haven't heard this before? Well, I mean, part of that
0: is really answering those questions that we all have, you know, offering formation to our understanding of what the church teaches is a way of evangelizing, is what you're pretty much saying here.
1: That's right. As St. Paul VI wrote, evangelization involves preaching and teaching. So I don't think we should underestimate the power of providing compelling responses to these transcendental questions and longings of the human heart as a doorway to faith in Christ. Yeah. When St. John Paul II came to the USA in 1995, in his homily at Camden Yards, he said this. He said, Jesus Christ is the answer to the question posed by every human life. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow.
1: Do we believe that?
0: Mm.
1: That Jesus is the answer to all of our most deeply held questions and longings? Well, then why wouldn't we share that with people?
0: I know, exactly. I mean, if it brings us joy, why wouldn't we want to share that joy with the people that we love, right? It makes sense to me. We'd want to share that joy. So we're talking about understanding what evangelization is, right? But what about sharing it through example? Uh, Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words, right? You've heard that. It's been attributed to St. Francis, right?
1: That's actually, I think, in our day and age, a key first step to really evangelizing people is this idea that my life needs to speak. My life needs to speak. It needs to be able to be something that, is provocative and I mean that in the most positive of ways like that it provokes people to question why is that guy happy what about that guy's joy you know, you know? I
0: want to share a, this is the exact thing that I make a point of doing every day like when I go get my coffee or whatnot I go into the store and you know they'll say hey how you, you know how are you you know and I say great and they're like stunned a little bit that I'm so forward <laughs> by saying great rather than saying okay. And it's like, oh, you're great. I said, yeah, life is good. I'm great. So the idea is that I I made an effort to exude joy right. that was given to me by God. And that mere um, example, I'm sure is provoking them to think What's this guy on? Or like, what's the deal with him? <laughs> or maybe actually thinking, well, this guy's really happy. Maybe I should maybe question why he's happy, or where's that joy coming from? Or maybe I need to look at my own life and and recognize that maybe I need to seek joy, right. you know. And I think that is my sort of little way to evangelize without really, you know, getting into too many words by example.
1: Yeah, uh, just a few ideas. First. I think if someone is manifesting what St. Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit in his or her life, then they're going to be attractive to people. I mean, when people see love, joy, peace, when they see patience, kindness, goodness, when they see faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they're inspired by those things. It gives people pause, you know, and it makes them question even like, what does that person have? Because I want it. So a good question to ask ourselves first is, am I manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in my life? And I think you're exuding that joy for the people that you see when you do what you do and you say, hey, great, I'm great. Second, I'd say that living a life of service and charity is a key component of Christian witness and evangelization. You know, in the early church, one of the things that was unique about the Christian community that attracted so many to it was its care for the poor and its works of charity. But the last thing I want to say is this, you know, While witness is perhaps the first step that can provoke questions in people, St. Paul VI wrote, Witness always remains insufficient because even the finest witness will prove ineffective in the long run if it is not explained, justified, and that needs to be made explicit by a clear and unequivocal proclamation of the Lord Jesus. There is no true evangelization if the name, the teaching, the life— The promises, the kingdom, and the mystery of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, are not proclaimed. That's powerful. So we can't get away with either that our witness is going to be what speaks. That's not what Pope Paul VI is saying there. He's saying eventually we need to get to talking about Jesus. So do we look for opportunities to tell people about the Lord, you know, about who he is and and about what he's done for us?
0: Uh, This is great, Dave. Thank you so much. This has been really helpful, really just to understand why evangelization is so important. And why is it so important? Because we all need to get to heaven, right? We want our loved ones to be up there in heaven with us, with all of us together. And how do we do that? We spread the gospel. So Dave, uh, thank you so much for being on board here with us here at Array of Hope. This is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm excited for future podcasts. Love
1: you being here with us. It's wonderful to be on board.
0: So today, we're actually going to reach out to John Harper, who is actually a uh, radio host on a show called Morning Air on Relevant Radio. And uh, I've been interviewed by him many, many times. So it's going to be fun actually interviewing him and just seeing where he stands on our theme today, evangelization. So let's give John a call. One ringy dingy. Ooh, ringy Hello. Hey Jay. John. It's John. Mario. Hey Mario, how are you? I'm great, great. How are you? Good, good. I'm calling you because we we have a new initiative here at Array of Hope. We're doing we're launching a new podcast and uh
2: Excellent.
0: Yeah, I'm recording you. I'm recording this podcast as we speak. So you came to mind uh because uh gosh, you you've been doing this sort of stuff for a long time and uh, I wanted to put you on the hot seat, you know, kind of interview the interviewer per se. Sure. Uh, is it a different position for you there? Do you often get interviewed?
2: Uh, no, rarely. Yeah. Rarely. Yeah. <laughs> so it's
0: good. It's good. Yeah. So, John, Jesus asked us to to evangelize, right? He asked us to share the faith and make disciples of all men. And um, you're doing that in your work. Maybe you could share the importance today ever the more to share our faith, to be open to the Holy Spirit and bringing people toward God. What do you think about that?
2: I think we do that on Relevant Radio, and there's also a message that all of us can take from Relevant Radio is to do that, is to share who we are as Roman Catholic men and women with clarity and charity, Mm -hmm. and to be able to, as Pope Francis often says, get out of your comfort zone, and getting out of your comfort zone are those instances that we've all been in. It may be while we're out bowling with friends, it may be in an offhand comment at work, where we need to step in, and I know there's that split-second decision That you have to make, do I say something? Do I not say something? And this is, you know, where the rubber meets the road with our faith in order to be evangelized and really live out our baptismal promises to share that faith.
0: How do you, per se, evangelize through your actions to your family? Maybe not saying anything, but living the faith uh, as an example.
2: You know, I've got a lot of cousins on uh, both my mom's side and my dad's side, and some live their faith some don't, some are lukewarm about it, and I'm not afraid about talking about what I've heard at a daily Mass or something that happened to me in the confessional, and you get some unusual looks at times, but I'm just simply living out who I am. You know, I'm not hitting them over the head with my faith, but just showing that my faith is just a part of who I am. It's like breathing, and to Plant those seeds of the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit go to work with some prayer on my part for them.
0: Yeah, and sometimes I think— people inadvertently will trust in the person that you are, you know, and and I find that sometimes the most unlikely of people will ask me questions about the faith, and I'm certainly not an expert, but they, they'll open up, and I think that's an amazing opportunity uh, to share the faith, but they right. trust because they see that we are trying to authentically live the faith, you know what I mean?
2: There are also those subtle times when we're evangelizing, uh, you know, I wear a miraculous medal, and sometimes that flips out from beneath my t-shirt if I'm in the gym, and I can't tell you how many times someone has come up to me and said, what is that? Right, right. And I've explained what it is, and they'll say, I, you know, I used to be Catholic. Yeah. And, and I tell them, well, no, you still are Catholic. And it starts a pretty good conversation about the faith. And in those instances, you got to let the Holy Spirit take over, but look at those opportunities that the Holy Spirit has, has given you to evangelize in the most unusual places.
0: Yeah. You know, you mentioned the Holy Spirit, and I think people forget that, that sometimes when you're opposed a question, or even challenged about your faith, or they ask you, well, why do you do that? Why are you wearing that? If you silently say a prayer to the Holy Spirit, uh, you invoke an extra grace, and I want to remind our listeners that we can do that, even if we're confused. I mean, I, I've started doing this a couple of years ago. Uh, and and I know that you're a big proponent of that. You believe that. Definitely. Yeah. So, John, thank you so much for uh, sharing your thoughts. And I wish you all the best. Uh, always, we pray for you guys every day uh, and all lay apostolates uh, in our church. So thanks again, John.
2: Thank you, Mario. And and I know I'm preaching to the choir here literally, but the Array of Hope music, I mean, the entire Mario Costabile family, they've got angelic voices. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much. God bless, John. God bless. Peace. Okay, so we are going to continue now with part two of our Scott Hahn interview. Here it is. So I I wanted to ask you something. So, uh, you know, I've read many of your books, Uh, Rome's Sweet uh, Home, uh, The Lamb's Supper, uh, Signs of Life, Hail Holy Queen. I mean, great books. I enjoy reading your books because they're, um, I guess you just articulate beautifully. So my question to you, so how does Dr. Scott Hahn prep for a book? What do you do? I mean, are you inspired? Does it just come out of your head? I know that you do a lot of research. How, how does the planning stages come together uh, be a subject, prepping, writing? Where does it come from?
3: I don't think of myself as a writer primarily. I think of myself as a teacher. And I think of my teaching as sort of the, um, the echo of what I've been studying. Because I want to teach the thing, the truths that have transformed my life not just the truths that pertain to a particular subject. And so when I have been teaching as I have for 35 or 40 years, it was in the context of sharing the stuff that just lights me up. And so when I see it lighting up other people, I'm not surprised, because I'm not doing it for effect. All of my study of God's Word has been, from my teenage years, a kind of self-therapy. I need Jesus. I need Scripture. I need all that I can get. And so I can see what other people are looking for, because it's what I'm looking for. And I can give them what has helped me so much, and I'm like, thank God it helps you. So when you teach it over and over again, it's written in your heart. And so I gave the, the, the talk that became Rome's Sweet Home probably a dozen times. In a different story. Yeah. And finally, in Baton Rouge, somebody not only taped it, which they had been doing, but transcribed it. And they sent Kimberly and me the transcripts. We looked it over. We thought, you know what? It wouldn't be that much to transform this through editing. And so three weeks later, it became Rome's Sweet Home. And so I didn't write the next book, A Father Keeps His Promises, until my sabbatical around 97, Mm -hmm. and that was the material that I had been teaching for the last 10 years since I became a Catholic. It was also the material that I was teaching for high school kids, because we had uh, two homeschooled boys, teenagers, Michael and Gabriel, our sons, and about 10 of their friends. Every week, they'd meet in my home, and I would teach this stuff until I could see in their eyes, all of them, fire. I'm like, okay— And so during my sabbatical, I could just picture them as I typed it up based upon, again, tape recordings or transcripts of what I had taught over and over again. For the most part, I have, you know, written books that have transformed what I share. And I think that's why, with the help of editors, people say, you know, I can hear you, because that's where it started. You know, I don't think of myself sitting alone, just kind of writing. I did that once for a PhD dissertation that was 775 pages long with almost as many migraine headaches, you Mm -hmm. know? And so just the idea of, of sitting alone and writing ends up, you know, basically producing prose that nobody wants to read. Whereas, you know, when I can see the faces and I can remember the thoughts that I had and the feelings that
0: they shared, Mm -hmm. you know, then it comes out in a much, much more natural way. So um, it comes from something that got you excited initially and your desire to share it.
3: That's right. And I I call it facial feedback because in the classroom, there's a feedback loop. I, I can see in their faces an expression that reminds me of how I felt when I first heard it, when I first learned it, when I first pondered it. I'm like, yeah. And that kind of connection for me is irreplaceable. Mm. It's what I'm on the planet for. And so, you know, it's also an extension of what I do as a husband and a father to kind of share the truth in a life-giving way, to share the truth that is the truth of love. It's almost too good to be true, but it's all true. It's the gospel. To believe the unbelievable, you know, uh, and, and then to recognize that when Kimberly and I united in our marital covenant, six times it produced persons that weren't there before, and they're ours. How cool is that, you know? Our world couldn't get it more wrong. God's word couldn't get it more right. And so, you know, kind of investing myself in my kids and then seeing my students as sort of like spiritual offspring. To me, you know, God is a father. Christ is the son from all eternity, but he's also the word spoken. So when we speak the word of truth and love, it's a kind of parental act Mentoring, And so what I wanted to do after I became a Catholic was to become a teacher and to have as many opportunities as possible. So in addition to the four or 5,000 students, we've had about 50 or 60 guys live with my family for the last 30 years. And that, too, is another way of teaching the truth and seeing their excitement echoing my own.
0: So that's awesome. I mean, it's part of what gets me going is the desire to evangelize the things that bothered, like things that I had questions about so when i finally figured them out i want to share them you know i want to get it out there i want to show the beauty of the church i want to show how exciting you know the church is um in your mind what would be a good way to you know to evangelize you have any thoughts you know how are we doing as a church evangelizing drawing people back to the church uh, that are disengaged can we do things better thoughts about that
3: Yeah, I have a book called Evangelizing Catholics. It's all about the new evangelization and how Catholics can evangelize. You know, we've had 50-plus years of all of this since Vatican II. Uh, In Vatican I, the term evangelium for evangelize or evangelist was used once. In the 16 documents of Vatican II, the, the variations of evangelium occur 206 times because the West has become so secularized, it needs to be re-evangelized. The new evangelization is basically re-evangelizing those who've been dechristianized, and you can't even begin to number all of them. But it's a different kind of thing. And so, Pope Paul VI, John Paul, and others have said it's mostly about bearing witness more than teaching. It's also about the joy of the gospel. So, when you share something that you enjoy, You know, you basically are extending friendship, you're Mm. deepening friendship, friendship with our Lord, but friendship with other people, sharing the things that you've enjoyed, not teaching them what they don't know, and also recognizing that we're not just out to reach them, we are them. We're sinners who need to be reached. You know, my fault, my fault, my most grievous fault is more than religious rhetoric. I've got to see that I'm a terminally ill sinner. I find it so easy to hate sin, especially when others commit it against me. Oh, I have a holy contempt for that. But I've got to learn. I've got to hate the sins that I do the most, that I enjoy the most, and I rationalize the best, because they're the really dangerous things. And so I need the gospel every morning. For me, as a Catholic, I discovered a theology of conversion that was so different than when I was a Protestant. Conversion is what happened when I was 14, or conversion would happen to me when I was received into the Catholic Church. No, conversion is what happened to me this morning when I made a morning offering and an act of contrition, and I prayed a rosary, read the scriptures, you know. And it's like a reawakening, just like you have to wake up and rub the sleep from your eyes. I gotta rub the sin from my soul. And so conversion, I think, that we open ourselves up to in a radical way is how we're not just up on stage teaching people. We're sort of like following Christ and inviting others to follow us because we are sinners in need of the medicine of God's mercy. And to me, that's natural. I mean, if you tell friends or coworkers at the, on the job about some movie you just watched or some restaurant you just visited that opened up last week— you know, they're not going to turn on you and say, who do you think you are to shove your culinary taste down our throats or Ooh. impose your theatrical taste on us? That's what friends do. They share the things that they enjoy. And so if we can say, man, you know, I grew up Catholic. I drifted away. I'm back, and boy, I'm enjoying it like I never imagined you could as a kid, you know. Or I go to the sacraments, and I tell you, my marriage, which almost— I mean, I go back to the late 80s, early 90s, our neighbors would not have given my marriage much chance. You know? But through the sacrament of matrimony, weekly confession, I, 40 years of marriage, I had no idea you could have this much friendship and fun. The sacraments are to me the things that we want to point people to because that's where they'll find Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit.
0: I think that's the most important, to me. By far. It's the most important thing that the church has to offer. And I think our culture um, doesn't recognize I think they've forgotten the importance of what the sacraments do.
3: And the communion of saints, because otherwise, you know, the the parish would be like a a dispensary of sacraments, Mm. you know, and the priest would just be a sacramental dispenser. But it's a family. And so the saints are like older brothers and sisters, the likes of which I never had and siblings growing up, you know, and the communion of saints transform the sacraments from rituals to family customs, traditions, making memories, and older siblings helping younger ones make it home.
0: Yeah, that's great. We're rocking it. Okay, so I just have a couple more questions for you. So um, by, you know, by trade, I'm a musician. That's what I did. I ran a music production company for 40 years. Now stop. What did you play? Guitar. I play the piano, but I also yeah. play guitar too. Okay. So. What kind of music? Oh well, I, I love the Beatles. Oh. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh. So. Tell My me. kids love the Beatles. Well, now. you love the Beatles of too. Of course, right? yeah. yeah. So uh, I remember in Rome Sweet home, you you talked about playing guitar and used to jam and stuff. Right. What were
3: some of your favorite groups? Uh, the Almond Brothers. Because Dickie Betts and Dwayne Allman did all these good guitar oh, duets yeah. that Tom and I mastered. Playing thirds all the time? Yeah, and we would do a medley of um, beginning with ramblin man, all I want, born a ramblin' man and then ending with Jessica or, or a number of other songs. And that was my favorite. I mean, Jethro Tull, Clapton, and Dwayne Allman. Oh, you, and, definitely uh, guitar. Oh yeah, guitar groups. Oh yeah, Cla- but I mean, others too. Cream. Yes, oh, one of my all-time favorites. But I liked Leo Kottke. I-, I liked Julian Bream and Andreas uh, Segovia. And so I- it was jazz guitar. It was classical did guitar. Did you play classical guitar too? I did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I wanted to be a rock star. I rock! Rock! <laughs> Can we get the guitar? Come on. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, I'll just embarrass I'm only, you. I'm only teasing you. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, it's funny because I, in high school, my, my drive was to be a rock star. And so we were in a band that was really popular. And then between college, between high school and college, I uh, I played with the Continentals guitar for three months. We had a gig every night. Awesome. Uh, 30 states for two months, and then Europe for one month. Really? Belgium, Holland, Scotland, So you were England. rocking it. And, I mean, in Bruges, we did this nightclub, and I thought, this is it. And then by the, by the end of August, I had complete burnout. I mean, I, I found that on the bus, I was reading scripture and biblical commentaries and theology. And listening you know,
0: to Clapton while you were doing it. Yeah, well, we didn't have headphones back then to do
3: that with. But, I mean, in the 70s, I just realized that all of my, all of my band partners were to sleep in the day away and get ready for the night. Whereas I was, like, reading the day away. And so this died, life, and this came of,
0: a life. You live in a kind of a double life. Yeah.
3: And I, I realized going off to college that I was still in a band when I was in college for a year or two. But no, my passion was to not only reach people for the Lord, but have the Lord reach me more. Because I had no idea how much more there was to Scripture. I thought I'd kind of gone deep. I wasn't even scratching the surface.
0: But the thing is, you know, even with my background, you know, it's like the Lord prepares us, right? I mean, you have a whole performance thing. I mean, you're a teacher, you have to convey sentiment. You're essentially part of what you do is performing the gospel and so people are attracted to it. Well, you know, there's a sense
3: in which you don't play music well unless you enjoy it. So it's the joy of the gospel. It's the joy of the songs, you know. You're right, because it's not like an actor on stage pretending to be somebody he's not mouthing lines that he memorized. It's the stuff that you love that pours right. out of you and the connection that you have with students or with people at a concert. Yeah. You know, it really kind of creates this
2: communion. The communion. Yes.
0: The communion. Well, thank you so much for oh, your time. Mario, thank you. It was really you. great hanging with you this. and sharing the faith. And God bless you. And let's pray for one another. Indeed. Amen. Amen. So I feel this has been fun today. I hope it's been fun for you as well. If you want to learn more about Array of Hope or bring us to your parish, you can go to www.arrayofhope.net. Also join us on social media where we release daily reflections, videos on the saints, and lots of fun music. We're on Array of Hope on Facebook, Array of Hope Show on Twitter and Instagram. We also have hundreds of videos on our YouTube page, so you got to check that out as well. So I want to thank you for joining us on this Reason for Hope podcast. Please, you know, tell all your friends, this is something that we want to grow and this is something that we're very excited about. Also, if there's anything on this podcast that might have been confusing or if you have a question about the teachings of our church or about the faith in any way, please email us at podcast at arrayofhope.net and Dr. David Heideck will respond on the next podcast and really try to answer your question for you. Be sure to join us each week with a new theme, new guests, new surprise calls, new discussions with David Heideck, all new stuff each and every week. And next week's guest will be Gus Lloyd from the Catholic channel on Series XM. That's going to be great. You got to check that out. So many of us experience difficult times. You may be experiencing a difficult period in your life now. You may be experiencing loneliness or suffering from an illness or mourning a separation or even death. God has reasons for allowing these things to happen or exist that we simply don't understand. We must have confidence and trust in God, knowing that His ways and purpose are always above our ways and understanding. If you look beyond this moment and believe that this time will pass, you will recognize that this experience or situation is only temporary and nothing but hope lies ahead. And that hope is Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us on this podcast, and there certainly is a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace.